0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Isaiah Hankel, and today we're going to be talking about becoming an industry research scientist, and we're going to treat this as a case study. Uh, We'll be talking with Vadim Kachik, a great guy, came out of the Boston area, uh, transitioned from academia into industry, did a a postdoc in the Boston area, uh, got a job at Sanofi Pasteur, as a research scientist, was very successful there and has already uh, climbed the ranks and, and gone on to become a medical science liaison at Bristol-Myers Squip. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about specifically his his experience transitioning from that postdoc position into that research scientist position. Uh, we're going to talk about the differences between working as a research scientist in academia versus industry. Uh, and the, the great thing about this podcast is, is we interviewed Vadim right after you transition. Uh, so you're going to get to hear what it's like, like how quickly uh, the, the transition process happens once you get a referral, how to, what to do once you get a referral. right? We, a lot of people talk about getting referrals at networking events, but what to actually do, how the interview process works, uh, how, how negotiation works, what you're going to be expected to do once you get that job, and how the job is different, right? what the first few months on the job as an in- industry research scientist looks like. Uh, so lots of great information. Uh, if if you like what you hear today, make sure that you sign up for the Cheeky Scientist Association waitlist, where you'll get the complete version of all of these interviews, plus hundreds of other interviews, uh, documents, uh, training materials, and access to our private network. If you want these shorter interviews and our, our blog articles delivered to your inbox, uh, just go to our, our website at cheekyscientist.com and and sign up in the top right hand corner. So we're going to jump right into our interview with Vadim.
1: Okay. Well. It's been an exciting few months for you. Can you, I mean, just off the bat before we get into, you know, the questions that the, the people listening asked, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the films you've had or how fast it's gone. Like what, what's it been like since you literally just transitioned
2: into industry? I basically jumped right in. I work at Sanofi uh, Viral Immunology Department. I do basic research for development of novel vaccines. And it is slightly different from what I was doing before, where I was working on viral vector development um, and crayon research, actually, between my two postdocs, but it is very, very different from being an academic postdoc.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's been going, and we can hear you really well now, so thanks. Uh, if you could keep talking like that, that's, that's awesome. So what would you say are some of the differences? I'm just going to go uh, off topic a little bit. We'll get, we'll get to the, the questions that, that the people wrote in about. But, you know, I'm really interested because it's happened so recently for you. What was it, like, what, what are the big differences? So when you show up to work, like, for your average day, like, what did your kind of average day look like with, uh, towards the end of your postdoc? And what does your average day look like now? Whether it's, you know, more meetings and such,
2: maybe you could just talk about that briefly. Come and research dynamics. That's the biggest difference, I would say. Um, in an academic postdoc, you know, things go, you show up when you feel like, essentially, or at least what it was like. You know, you get in before 11 o'clock, you try to get an experiment here and there, uh, but you're moving towards a goal that's essentially oriented towards you and you alone. Here, you're working in a team. Uh, that's very important that you can communicate, that you have the ability to work with this team. And to meet certain deadlines. So you come in. Most people get into work by 8:30, 9 a.m. Uh, and you settle in and you start working through your schedule. Everything is, as I said, everything is structured. So you kind of, you kind of know what you have to do for the week. You have a meeting almost every day to discuss a certain topic. Um, you discuss collaborations with with either other companies or with academic uh, labs, um, and yeah, here and with a coffee break.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it it moves. I guess overall, it moves much faster. It's much more team oriented, and you you are. I mean, you're basically scheduling things in between different types of meetings. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as for for personally for you, what has been What has been the most enjoyable part of the transition process now, you know, now that it's
2: happening? Uh, I guess I would say working on the other side, right? Um, The way research is done, um, basically there's almost no limits to if you can think of something to do and you can justify it, the the means, the financial means are there to do the experiment. Obviously, you have to have logical explanation for why you would do something like it. But you are, you know, you are very much open to experiment, which is great. Um, now, again, there are key deadlines and there's really important projects that come first. These are the priorities, which is slightly different. As you, as most of you might know, in, in an academic lab, you, t- you try something, you go try something else, you start ordering stuff, and you just keep going back and forth until you just hit on something to work. So you really have a direction. Yeah, and how do, uh, I like that you brought that up. So, you know, the, the,
1: the takeaway there for you guys listening is in academia, you're working on things yourself. It's a lot more troubleshooting, a lot more independently driven, uh, which which can be good, but in in industry... You have a clear direction, and so my next question, Vadim, is going off of that because I think it's really interesting to a lot of people that, that haven't experienced it yet. Where does that direction come from? Like, how does it work for you? Do you go to a meeting? Do you have a direct supervisor? Like, as a research scientist, maybe you can talk about you know, the chain of command and how things work, uh, so to
2: speak. Like, like, like you mentioned earlier, um, this is just the beginning for me, but there is a hierarchy. There's definitely a built-in hierarchy that gets passed down from from director to deputy director to manager and to scientist. And it it, it goes in a stepwise manner in how these meetings go to dictate what and who um, is gonna do the, the actual work. Now, the directors get together, they meet, they share the information, and like in our research department, there's many different groups that work on many different specific fields. So if we have a certain problem, you know, for example, like I said, I'm in viral immunology, and we have a lot of protein purification. So there's a group that works right next to us that's protein biochemistry. So if we have any type of problems, usually you schedule a meeting to get together with that team, discuss the issues, and they will come back to you within a few days to to troubleshoot what what problems you might what you might be uh, confronting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that's a really important point for you guys, listening. because, and you know, I'm just I'm gonna summarize here what you're saying, the dean. But in academia, you go whether it's a week or whatever else it is, and then you meet with your supervisor. You have a lab meeting, maybe you have some kind of joint lab meeting, you know, where you share results with people and you can get advice from them. Uh, but the the nice thing about industry is you have multiple different departments, uh, like the dean just said, you know, departments working right next to them, and when you come across a problem. Like that same day, you can book in a meeting. The meeting might not happen that same day, but you can book a meeting in, and you can get the help you need. And and do you, do you enjoy that part, Vadim? I mean, has this has this made you move faster in terms of your research?
2: I think it's great. I, I think your understanding. You know, when you have somebody to actually to, to talk to, um, to resolve your problem, it's slightly different from. You still have to do the research. You still have to. Go through the literature to find out what the problem might be. You have experts on hand literally sitting right next to you that can help you. Yeah, one of the advantages to working
1: in industry is that you get to have experts at your fingertips. Uh, you, it is much more team oriented. It's much, much more directed. Uh, there's not, you know, it's in terms of getting stuff done, you actually will get more done. And, and the work that you do will happen faster and be better because you get top-of-the-line equipment. And I love that the you brought that up because a lot of people don't think about it. You know, in academia, even if you're in the best parts of, you know, the, even if you're at uh, you know at Harvard or, or wherever it might be that has top-of-the-line equipment, lots of funding, you'll still get in labs where things are really old. they have been using instruments for 20 years. And to have top-of-the-line stuff, to have three extra of the exact same instrument, just in case you need it, really, really matters. And I think that's important. So. You know, if you guys enjoy, and the overall message here is that if you enjoy research, uh, don't stop doing it just because you've had a bad experience in academia. You need to really evaluate whether or not you wanna move away from the bench because you don't enjoy bench work or if it's because you just didn't have a good experience in the lab maybe you had a uh, you know a difficult PI, maybe you didn't have a lot of direction, maybe you didn't have a lot of support, maybe you had crappy equipment, not a lot of funding. If these are the reasons that you had a bad experience, it, they're not gonna be the same uh, things that are, you know they're not gonna be present when you move into industry. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so going back to about making that transition, Dean, what, from the process, since you're fresh out of it, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how the process worked for you. like what, you sent your resume off. Like, tell, talk to us exactly, you know, what, what are the steps that got you this job? Did you send your resume first? Was it through a referral? Did you go to networking events? And then you got an interview? Maybe Can talk a little word, bit
2: about it. One word, networking. That made all the difference in the world. Actually, I, I will tell you that what, got, what really kicked me in the butt was when you came to present at Harvard Medical School. After that seminar that I sat through, uh, it kind of opened my eyes. Um, It opened the way, it opened the approach. Beforehand, it was really just sending off applications through LinkedIn, through the company's websites, through whatever means I could get my CV out there. And I wasn't really getting much of a response. The initial response was one of two answers. Either you're overqualified for the position or you don't have any industry experience whatsoever for you to take this position. so what turned it was actually networking. I basically went through every networking event that was taking place between Boston and Cambridge. And it was actually a friend who passed, who was also looking for a job that didn't quite fit this position, yep. passed my CV on to, to the hiring manager. And it happened almost overnight. I, once the, <laughs> once my CV went past their HR department and into an actual hiring manager, who was part of the team that I work with now, um, the process took two weeks. Uh, it was really sad.
1: Yes. I
2: love that. See, are you guys
1: listening to this? Like, How many people have we had on
2: that have said that everything
1: comes down to networking? And a lot of you guys, keep, you know, you keep asking questions that have, that make no sense at all because you, you aren't asking the right questions. You're asking questions still about resumes, CVs, right? We've been in we, – you guys have been in the group for uh, quite a while now. And for those of you that don't have a job but you're still asking about resumes, CVs, you're still worried about interviews, whatever, it all starts with networking. You have to get out there. It's not like you're going to go to one, it's not like you're missing out on the one event. That's the reason that networking is not working for you. It's because you're not consistently going to networking events. It's because you're not consistently following up and meeting new people on LinkedIn, like every single day. And so if you're not getting a job, you have to put in that kind of effort. And if there's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, there's no good, I think, uh, one of you just said, what about Portland, right? (laughs) Well, Portland's a big city. There are networking events there. You got to get on meetup. You got to sniff them out. And if you can't find one, guess what? You can host your own. Have you ever invited anybody to your university? Have you ever set up your own networking event? You, you can do this very easily. Uh, so you can, you can bring cheeky scientists out to your university uh, to wherever you're at to, to have a, a networking event or to have a, a speaking event you can bring other speakers other uh, recruiters out you can contact recruiters directly see if they'll come out for an event you can look at your you know your university or wherever you are uh, for funding to bring people out it just takes initiative um, it takes a little bit of daily effort uh, it's it's not as hard as you think so start thinking outside the box start putting together you know your own events and start really digging in. To networking because it all happens there. I'm gonna We're going to drive home this point. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, any changes you might have made to your, your resume or if that didn't matter. What you, how the interview went, uh, what kind of questions I asked, anything, any yeah. insight there?
2: Um, basically, I the first interview was a phone phone interview, and well, the, the company reached out to me. The hiring manager reached out and sent me the list of responsibilities and things that. You would be responsible for while working in this position they gave me a few days to review it, and then they said would a time just ask me for a particular time to when we could speak over the phone uh at, at, when the first phone call was made, the first questions were asked that were are you comfortable with the responsibilities that will be asked of you? Can you perform those tasks um and it, it, this again, because this is research, a lot of the techniques, a lot of the skills that they were asking were completely transferable from what I was doing before. It was really easy to change. Like what? Well, for, for example, cell culture and virology work. I was working in viral vector development before, and in this case, I'm, instead of viral vector developing, I switched into vaccine development. The concepts of making a uh, vex, uh, making a virus in cell culture. Is the same. I mean, you're using the same trans, uh, transfections, you're using the same molecular techniques to characterize what you're making. It's just a different question that's being asked. That's all. Yes. So,
1: what were some of the skills that were, were there any skills that were a little bit different? I mean, how, how important were, you know, like interpersonal skills during the interview, during the call?
2: Awesome. Awesome. Very, very important. They, one of the first things they asked me was, are you comfortable in with presenting in front of other people? Are you comfortable in sharing your ideas in Latin Um They were basically digging it to the point of asking, was I willing to speak up? Um, and looking at how confident I was with, with the work that i would be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So two
1: things, uh, two takeaways there, guys. One thing that they want to know, like it's not about it's not about uh, proving your hard skills in the way that you think you'd have to. You know, I mean, basically, you have the experience to do these kind. You know, especially for a research scientist position, you either have the the skills uh, to do the bench work that's required, right? Uh, to do the types of experiments required, or you have the skills to learn how to do the experiments, you know? Uh, but as far as the soft skills, that's that's two things that they're gonna wanna figure out. I mean, are you able to handle responsibility? Do you handle responsibility or do you put it off on everybody else? And, and a lot of academics struggle with this because it's kind of built into the academic system and the way that you communicate. Like when you're talking about your results, you never talk about your results, you say our results suggest, right? It's very different in uh, in industry like you need to be able to take responsibility and you're accountable for what you need to get done you're accountable to the you work with a team but you're accountable to yourself to your data to your results uh, so are you willing to take that responsibility are you willing to hold yourself accountable that's what they want to see the second thing is are you going to speak up are you going to be a wallflower and not talk at all they don't. it doesn't matter how good you are at bench work if you have golden hands if you're not going to speak up if you can't present if you can't sta- stand up in a, in a meeting uh, and assert yourself they're not going to want you in industry. So those
2: two things, again, responsibility and uh, communication skills, really, really important. One of the the biggest questions, actually, one of the first questions that they asked me when I came in for the interview, why do you want to leave academia?
1: (laughs) Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. That That was the same question I got, too. What
2: did you say? Uh, I wanted to see what what the other side was like. I, I, I know what academia is like. I know I want to work in a more structured environment. I want to work in a team. I want to. I want. I want to be able to actually make a difference. Um, and from what I was doing in academia, wasn't really doing it for me. So they really. <laughs> the, the key was to show that you were really confident in making this transition. Uh, but it yes. wasn't like something you kind of just dabbling with. That's a crucial
1: point. I'm so glad you brought that, I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, you guys, because I don't think we've covered that yet this year. Uh, and he brought up a lot, of, a lot of key takeaways here. One, they want you to know, they want to know that you're confident, just in general, they want to know that you're confident. They especially want to know that you're confident in your decision to take a job, because it costs, I think the last numbers that I saw is it costs between $40,000 and $60,000 USD uh, to take on a new employee to a company because right, there's a lot of expenses that go into it. The whole onboarding process, the man hours of interviewing, HR work, processing paperwork, all the training, all this stuff, 40 to $60,000. So the num- one of the number one things you're going to want to know is, are you sure that you want to make this transition and you're not going to work for them for two months and then go back to academia or not be able to do it? So have your story straight about why you're leaving academia. and And don't and when I say story, I mean like the real story, not <laughs> you make up one, just do exactly what the dean did. And this, this correlates to everything that the recruiters we've interviewed have said too. Just be transparent. The dean said, I don't wanna do this anymore. I wanna try something new. I'm ready for something new. He didn't make up a story about, uh, you know, uh, having industry experience when he didn't have it. He didn't make up a story about doing some sort of internship that gave him insights to industry. He said, I, you know, I've never done this before. I, I know what it's about, I'm ready for something new, I'm confident in this decision, and that's all that you guys have to do too. We had a good question here from Rebecca, uh said, uh, Vadim, what does what your career trajectory look like uh, for the next 10 years, are you planning on, and of course, I know you just started, but as far as what you can see, do you plan on staying in research, uh, management,
2: what does it look like? I would love to stay, I would I would love to continue to become a director, that's obviously, That is the most obvious uh, trajectory. Um, Yes. But that doesn't happen for everyone. Whether I remain in a large company is one thing. I'm not opposed to working with a small startup as well. I think the curiosity and the amount of research done in a small startup is a little bit, you know, um, it's it's different. It's different Um, because we actually interact with a lot of small companies that come in and present their work so we could potentially be involved with them. Uh, I think it's really cool. Uh, In in short, I would like to stay in research, yeah. One other question that we got was,
1: how do you look at non-traditional academic training for entry-level scientist positions um, at R&D? So I guess if you were looking for, you know, to be a research scientist in immunology or biology, uh, how do candidates with degrees in biochemistry or chemical engineering Get those positions. So, did was your degree in what you're working? uh, The project that you're working on now. Are you working? What are you working directly? Is it? Is your work current work directly related to what you're doing in your postdoc, for example, or for your thesis? It's
2: not. It's very different. Uh, My my PhD thesis was in preon biology. Look. Researching proteinaceous infectious agents that don't have any nucleic acids, which is, it's, it's a field in microbiology, um, neurodegeneration, infectious neurodegeneration. From there, I moved on to gene therapy, which is viral vector development. It's actually making viruses to, to deliver, uh, genetic information. At this point, I am on the other side looking at and working in the field of virology and immunology actually um developing reverse engineering viruses it's actually it's it's like i said the techniques the skills if you could, if you're a molecular biologist or a biochemist and you have these skills it doesn't matter as long as you understand what your question is being asked you should be able to perform it so i guess the if, if you have a clear understanding you will fit the position just the same as if as if somebody coming out that's a pure virologist working in this field you know it's I, in my in my personal view, the definition of a virologist, a molecular biologist it, even well i would even a molecular immunologist, you're working with the same tools, just asking different questions. Exactly.
1: And we talk about this a lot, right? You guys, I mean, you you have a a PhD. It's basically a doctorate in knowledge, a doctorate in learning. Uh, So learning different techniques and whatever else, it's it's not that big of a, it's, it's not like if you didn't get your PhD in immunology, you can't work in immunology. If you didn't get your PhD in virology, you can clearly, just like you can get a, you can start doing a postdoc in something totally different. You can take a job in something totally different. Uh, it's just as you know, if you have, if they're looking for a specific skill set, like uh, the, if you're looking, if you're looking for a specific uh, you know, instrumentation experience, like if you work on specific instruments, you know, we talked about that when you are doing your resumes for recruiters, that kind of stuff can not matter. Uh, but it it doesn't mean that it can keep you from the job, so it's it's not a huge factor. And, and like Vadim said, there aren't a lot of huge factors that will keep you from the job except for yourself even if Vadim said you know he didn't have industry experience uh he didn't have the specific experience that he's working on now but he just got the job so all these limiting beliefs you guys have isn't uh it, they're not going to hold you back so you did a, did you say you did a phone call first That's right. That's right. and then and how long did that phone call last it was about an hour
2: Okay, and then you had a, a live interview? That's right. With how many people? Three people altogether. But it was three people in my case because this was beginning of December, or actually, this was, I'm sorry, this was one week before Thanksgiving. They hired me uh, first, of, first week of December. There was not that many people around in the company. That's why it was reduced. But I basically went through the hierarchy of individuals that I'd be working with, starting from the director to the deputy director, and to the hiring manager, also the manager involved in, in the work.
1: Okay, great, so there was three people there. And did they all kind of like tag team you questions? Or maybe, what were, do you remember what it looked like? How did, you, how did you prepare too? What did you do specifically to prepare for the, the live interview?
2: Well, I, I reviewed the work. I went through the responsibilities. When they sent me the description of the job, um, I I went over everything. I knew kind of what they were doing. And basically, before they started asking me questions, I asked them, what exactly is the project? What What do you work on? So, you know, I understand the skills you want, but what is the project that you are working on? And that kind of led to the conversation of what are your skills and how are they applicable to this? And I just compared essentially step by step what I was doing to how this would apply to the project that they're working on.
1: Oh, great, yes, and this is something similar to what we've heard in the past uh, during other webinars, guys, is that they're gonna gonna put you in, you know, specific kind of just mock scenarios, and they won't be that tough, but they're kind of just wanna see if you're able to think on your feet. They'll say, okay, imagine this happens, Uh, what would you do in this specific situation? Or imagine this happens, what would you do in a specific situation? Uh, and, and then you need to talk, just talk about, just like you did doing your thesis, defense. The just like you do you know, when people take, you have to give a seminar and people ask questions. Uh, so just uh, apply the skills that you have. Or, or one great strategy is to, you know, if you have had a similar problem in the past, explain how you got out of that one in the lab, or how I, should say, how, I should say how you solved it. And, and just show your problem-solving abilities. Because that's, they want those key trends, right? They're not looking for the, the, the specific answers. They're not looking for you to specifically identify a protein, for example. They just want to know that you display confidence and decisiveness. They want to know that you are willing to uh, assert yourself, that you have communication skills. They want to know that you can think on your feet. They want to know that you understand the questions they're asking. That They, they want to know that you know how to solve a problem that you know how to resolve conflict, these kind of things. Uh, so if you can tell, a, you know, telling a story about a past time in the lab where you solved the problem goes a long way. And so I think that is a really good key takeaway here. We had a bunch of questions about comparing uh, R&D position to a postdoc position. So, Vadim, when you you're the perfect person to ask to because you've done both and you've done multiple postdocs. So how does an entry level R and D position compare to, uh, starting a new postdoc or your first postdoc
2: as an example? Well, I think as you starting a postdoc, as most of you might know, um, you're kind of expected that, you know, pretty much everything in the academic setting. You are, you are the example of what the graduate students will be learning from. You have to, you really have to lead. Starting as an entry-level scientist in 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 a large company, you have to be able to know when to listen. Um, you have to accept the fact that you don't know everything because you again here you in an academic postdoc, um, you're essentially for the most part will be working by yourself. You'll be given a project that it's 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 for you to tackle right away as i started working in in the company i was first introduced to the team and i was informed of here's how you and the team are going to solve this problem or try to address the, the whatever the research question might be i think that's that's the biggest thing um and you're at the very bottom of that hierarchy that i, I kept saying so a lot of the tasks, the, the menial tasks that might be required, you know, even from a, a PhD, it kind of falls on you to do them. But people are not above, you know, even deputy directors will go in the lab and work as well, which I, I didn't expect, but it, it, it kind of blew me away. That even at really? the more senior level, people will still go in the lab to do something. Just of just, just um, the pure curiosity and joy that they get of working in a lab.
1: Uh, we appreciate you being on today, Vadim. That's all the questions we have time for right now, everyone. So take the rest of your questions into the Facebook group. Uh, we'll, we'll put Vadim in the group so he can respond to them and, and stay in touch and keep you up to date with uh, his successes as he moves on, on up the chain thank of you. command to manager. And we'll be, we'll be rooting for you along the way.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, oh, actually, thank you, I, 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 I told you several times I'm very grateful for your encouragement. Encouraging uh, suggestions—it helped a lot. I'm not gonna—I'm gonna say it like it is. and right, well, thank you, Vadim.
1: I, mean, you know, I want to say thank you to you too. Uh, you were an inspiration, and, and you know, like I like I told you when we met, uh, I knew that this would happen for you very quickly because the kind of guy you are. So, keep it up. Thanks for coming back to inspire uh, other postdocs and PhDs. I look forward to seeing you uh,
0: be more and more successful.
1: Thank Good you. Talk to you soon. Thank right. you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we are talking with Vadim Kachik about transitioning into an industry research scientist role. Uh, if you want to get uh, the extended version of this and access to all of our interviews, um, be able to join us for our live interviews that we do, uh, as well as all of our, our training materials, make sure that you sign up for the Cheeky Scientist Association wait list, which will be opening soon. Uh, that's at CheekyScientist.com backslash association. Uh, If you want these these shorter versions and our blog articles delivered to your inbox every day, uh, you can just go to our website at CheekyScientist.com and sign up in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, Until next time, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.